Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Justin Lee. Justin is a highly experienced business leader with over 20 years of experience delivering and leading high performance sales and marketing teams. Today he's the managing director of Focus for Growth Limited. Hello, Justin. How are you? Hi. Yeah, very well. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me on. Very well. How are you doing? I'm good, actually. Yeah, I was just uh, talking off air about my woes this morning of everything going wrong. But we're, we're, I'm, I'm now, you know, my technology is currently working, so that's that's uh, that's good. How how are you? Yeah, I'm I'm extremely well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Monday morning, really uh, up and re- up and raring for the week. I wish I was, uh, but yeah, that, I'm glad. Good to hear. Well, Justin, you you have an interesting background. Could you outline that to us? Let us know um, how your career has developed. Yeah, sure. I, my career started in the dental industry. So uh, way back when I trained as an apprentice dental technician. And when I finished that position, I realized I really didn't want to be a dental technician. <laughs> so I quickly moved into a sales role within the dental industry. And then from there, my career really progressed. So I started in sales, then I became a key account manager and I made a number of different moves into different dental companies, becoming kind of key account manager. And then I took on some leadership responsibility. And then in 1999, I was asked to go and join 3M in their dental business. And the, there was a real attraction to a large organization like that, because what I realized was it, it meant I could kind of expand my knowledge, skills and experience beyond just dentistry. So I joined 3M and within a couple of years, They'd acquired another dental company, so I was then involved in an integration and an acquisition, which gave me, you know, really good business experience and a different skill set. And then shortly after that, I joined their medical business, and that's when my leadership career really took off. And I was with 3M for about 18 years, but had probably the equivalent of about six or seven different careers within that company, uh, ranging from, you know, sales management business management, and then commercial leadership as well. So really, really great experience in a single organization, but it felt like I'd transitioned across multiple companies. And 3M's got, it's one of those sort of companies, isn't it, with Xerox and all these other ones that that has Mm -hmm. a sort of reputation for developing people and and having good structures and systems and processes in place. Was that what you found? did Did you receive a lot of training? Yes, I'd say the investment in people was probably one of the things that really still um, 
sits in my memory from my time at 3M. There was a, almost a continuous development program or process, and especially for people who embraced that uh, growth opportunity, they would, you know, they were very generous in their support of people who wanted to proactively develop their careers and their and their skills. Yeah, it was a it was a great place to be, and I, I think back to, you know, making that transition from. And they, they used to use this term individual contributor uh, versus, you know, leader or manager. And it, it really does help you kind of think about the difference between delivering in a role for yourself mm. versus delivering as a leader through a team. And that's it's quite a big transition to make. And with the right support, it's, it's quite easy and straightforward to do it successfully. But without that support, and until you make that shift in your thinking and your action that I'm going from delivering myself to delivering through a team it's it's quite it's quite a significant step to make but once you once you transition it's uh, it's it can be quite liberated for you and the team mm. and is that what uh, you're obviously now in a training you have a training business is that was this where your your interest in the training uh, piece developed through through the training that you actually received Yes, I guess it, to a certain degree it does. Yeah, I mean, in the in the last um, five six years of my leadership career at 3M, I was really fortunate. Not only did I attend a number of development programs on you know, leadership, influencing, high performance, all of that good uh, good content, but I was um, I was working with an external executive coach because I was running a large business and I was in quite a senior position in the organization, mm. I was uh, assigned an executive coach. And it was that coaching relationship, somebody external to the organization, helping me question myself and start to look at my performance and my leadership capability in a different way that really created a different um, level of value for me. And it was it was that experience that made me realize when I was leaving the corporate world, that was what I wanted to do. And I tend to work with clients on some training and mentoring. So I'll be sharing principles, content, um, and, and skills and experience that I know is valuable, but then coaching so that whoever it is that I'm working with can adopt what they're learning in the way that's most suited for them. Because we're all different and we have different ways of interpreting and integrating you know, skill and experience. And it's making sure that you don't force something on somebody that isn't right for them actually it's about sharing principles and then enabling them to adopt what works for them and you mentioned you were you were you know towards the uh, back end of your period with 3m you were mm. you know managing quite big businesses big teams i take it you were doing a lot of recruitment at that point because yeah. i'm imagining sales yeah. environments are always relatively high turnover aren't they you know i'm yeah. well, i think back 20 years ago when i first started in recruitment i was doing sales recruitment and it was you know it was always sort of a high churn environment what what, what were your experiences as a hiring manager like uh, actually very positive i um <laughs> we were talking in the past tony i was part of a significant project team at 3M at one point to completely redesign their sales and leadership recruitment process. And we embarked on a program of probably about six months work to completely redesign how we recruited. Mm. Um, and that, that included, you know, work with key recruitment uh, agencies, making sure that we were aligned with partners that had the same values um, took a similar approach, used the right um, structure and uh, assessment platforms. 
And then, we, you know, we designed it literally from, from end to end, from first contact with the organization as a, as a potential new employee, right the way through to the onboarding process. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a, actually a really positive thing to be involved in. And it's amazing how if you haven't ever designed something end to end, you don't realize all of the different nuances that have to be part of that process. It was a really, really valuable experience, actually. Many moving parts. Yeah. Well, how did that? How did that look then in a business like Three M? Because I'm always. I mean, I've, I've obviously dealt with lots of companies that have different processes. Um, you know, some are very organic. Um, you know, very focused around the hiring manager and their requirements. Others are extremely corporate. Uh, relatively locked down and you know there is a set process and there's 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 little sort of yield for anyone to get around it what 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 how did how did your process look Uh, well what we were trying to do was create a frame of reference for every hiring manager Mm. and hr manager that they could follow um, that would give them the structure and, and a framework but then they would be able to bring their own judgment and their own uh, I guess critical assessment to that process. Mm. So it started with us at you know first contact would be with a recruiter that we had trained and partnered with, and they would be doing an initial scan of CVs and looking for specific experience uh, and qualifications where where appropriate depending on the role. And then once that that was the first point of contact, then we would for all those candidates that had, you know met that first. Uh, review, they would be invited to a telephone interview, which would be like a telephone uh, screening interview with the recruiter. And once we'd identified the right candidates at that point, then they would meet the hiring manager. So there were a couple of steps before even contact with anybody from the organization took place. Yeah, which which is yeah. I mean that that I think is fairly normal. You know, part of the role of a recruiter should be, particularly an external one, mm-hmm. uh, but actually both internal and external is to is to do uh, a good job of bringing candidates to bear that that you know meet the requirements and filtering yes. out those that don't. Yes. Um, once they actually get to meet with a, a hiring manager, then I guess you've then got a process from there. Was mm-hmm. it was it as specific as right? We're going to ask similar s- sorts of questions, maybe competency questions, a framework around that, and a scoring system. Did you do that type of stuff? Yes. So we, we based, we had, I guess probably um, when, you th- when I think about the types of questions that we looked at, so it was, a, it was a two-stage process once the candidate had engaged with the hiring manager. And in that first process, it was a, we preferred it to be a face-to-face interview, but sometimes it was a, a video interview. But they would have specific questions they'd be asking. On one hand, they would be competency-based, so looking at the skills and competencies of of the the, uh, candidate. And on a second level, they were kind of values-based. So they were asking questions about values of the organization, things that were important within 3M, and they had what they used well, yeah, they still call leadership behaviors. So what are the behaviors that they were looking for people that were a a values match to the organization to be displaying. And so the questions would be very much behavioral, asking about you know, what, what, would you, what have you done in this experience or in this situation rather than what would you do. So quite, I mean, and standard practice nowadays, but when we were building the process, it was a really important distinction because 
a lot of the questioning that was being you know done by recruiting managers was in this situation give me an example of what you would do mm. and, and as i'm sure you know tony there's a big difference what people <laughs> think they'll do versus what they will do are two different things mm. so to say to somebody well actually can you give me an experience or, or a situation where something like this happened or how you responded actually it's really powerful for a recruiting manager it's also really powerful for a candidate coming in to start to think about what experience they've got and the behaviors they exhibit and how that is valuable to an organization and in you know in fundamental interview preparation that can be a, a really positive thing to do preparing yourself for that engagement with a potential hiring manager i think it's one of the hardest things for for, for candidates to go through because mm. you know competency-based questions are there they're quite easy to ask <laughs> they're very difficult yes. to answer because yeah, you, you are asking somebody to, to recall um you know a, a, a real real instance where they can demonstrate something that they that uh, particular capability uh, yeah. or experience and, it, and it's if you've not had that ex- experience of a, a competency-based interview and they're they're much more likely to today than they were sort of five or 10 years ago to have some of these questions thrown at them. In a way you actually do have to prepare, even though, you you know, arguably you can't know exactly what question they're going to ask. If you're going into, um, if you're, if you're a senior sales guy, you know that you're going to have some questions about, you know, the sales process, you know, you're going to have some questions about difficult clients, you know, you're going to have questions, you know, there's going to be a set of things that you need, you know, typical things, which are, Hopefully, if you have a job spec, they might lurk in there. Um, but actually, more likely, you just need to realise what is what's the purpose of the role. What are the problems I'm likely to encounter that that uh, they want to work out whether I can deal with or not. And 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 then I always suggest that you need to actually, as much as you might hone your own career narrative, and I talk about that a lot, where you think about how am I going to um, deliver my career story in a sort of concise and compelling way that's one of your stories that you need to 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 get uh, right for sure but actually i would argue you need probably another five or six that are around competencies that you know you're going to encounter whether that's leadership or sales or um you know finance or whatever it is that's part of the role you're going for you need to have thought about that honed it and have a you know, a good couple of instances, hopefully not just from the same role as well, from, from multiple roles that, that demonstrate that because that is a, yeah, a real big part of your, uh, you know, your, your preparation and, and difficult to do. Um, we're learning machines. We, nem- we normally, if somebody goes to 10 interviews by the 10th, they get good at it, but you actually today in today's market, you want to be good uh, in interview one. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, and there, as you say, Tony, there are things you can do to prepare. It's just making sure that you've taken the necessary steps. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of the, um, as well as so we were looking at interview criteria and, it, you know, competency on one hand, values match and fit on the other. And at the end of each of those interviews, we would have a scoring grid. And the grid would talk about, so we, we may be recruiting for three to five competencies and at the same time thinking about three to five key values. And at the end of the interview, uh, what normally there would be two people interviewing, So, uh, and that was uh, there was method in that. <laughs> the idea was that as you alternate questions, the other person is keeping a track of the answer just so you've got a written record afterwards. And then what we would do is we would 
take the question, the answers to the questions and start to match them to our competencies. And we, we used, I don't know if you're familiar with Six Sigma. Yes. Um, yes. I sure am. Yeah. 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 And there's a scoring criteria in Six Sigma that goes zero, one, three, nine. And it's intentional that there's a gap, a jump between three and nine. Mm. And zero, zero was, you know, no, the answer wasn't relevant. One was there was some evidence. Three was there was good evidence. And nine was it was really compelling and powerful. Mm. And the gap between three and nine really forces the decision making. So we would try and set a bar around certain competencies and certain values that had to be a nine. And if people and, and when you say to somebody, you know, it's a really good sense check. Was that a nine? Was was somebody a nine or were they a three? And on the odd occasion, you know, if we had certain threes in the mix, but people were strong nines, it did really help you um, differentiate between candidates and their performance or suitability to the role. Because that's the other thing; it's about making sure that anybody coming in was was going to be successful, not just mm. for the company's perspective, but for that person, because there's nothing worse than being in a role that is perhaps too much of a stretch for you. Yeah, there's always a you know, danger, isn't there? You can do a bit of gerrymandering in these things because you'll look at a person and you think, I actually really like them because there is always the human aspect, isn't there? To, yes. to any, you know, it's a human interaction, uh, an interview process. And, you know, someone sometimes you're rooting for somebody but they're yeah. not delivering, um, you know, and, and, you know, I know, you know, these scoring systems are often there to try and stop that, you know, people recruiting in their own image, let's say, because, mm -hmm. you know, you happen to go to the same school or support the same team or whatever, you know, reason why you've decided you like this person. But yeah, I, I, I also acknowledge and that piece around hiring for attitude as well as aptitude. In fact, you know, the two things are crucial. And um, there's an argument to say that, if, you, if your process is good enough, the people that you're interviewing are good enough to do the job. And actually attitude then becomes much, much more important what their values are and how they, they, they approach things because you should already be interviewing people who are capable yeah. uh, in, the, in the roundest sense have got the, the, the aptitude. Then you're all about finding out whether they have the right attitude um, which of course is, is, is crucial. Did you do anything else in that process? Any psychometrics or anything like that? Or was it then a case of right scoring grid, you come out on top and then they go to a, to a final interview. Uh, was there, was yes. there another stage that involved a, another testing? What, what, what was that? What was the piece there? Yeah. So what, once people were uh, at the end of that first step of the process with the hiring manager, a decision would then be made. And uh, so it was, it was, our, our recommended practice was that within 24 hours, you would notify candidates of their um, success or, or the development areas. And we'd always have, this is what went really well. These are the areas that we would recommend you would to develop, regardless of the outcome. Um, and then, then what we would do is take people to a second stage. So that second stage was a full assessment day. And in advance of that assessment day, people were, candidates were sent uh, what was it was a company called Wave. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was a personality profiling and assessment tool. I have, yeah, I have come across it. Yes, actually, yeah. That, that was the system that we were using um, at the time. And if actually what it did was helped us to learn about the candidates' preferences and, and you know, default operating modes. And that, it wasn't right or wrong. It just, as especially as a hiring manager, helped you to recognise coming into the role where that uh, you know potential employee's strongest um, 
I guess, areas of strength, but also their, their development areas that you might have to support and coach them on. So it was, it was valuable from that perspective. I think the other thing that was interesting was we used to use it in a in a way to help create some awareness in the in that person about you know where they were performing really well and where they might need to to look themselves regardless of their performance in the process and post process and we designed that uh, assessment day to be a combination of about four things so one was feedback on their um assessment that assessment platform the wave platform so they get a really good quality one hour assessment feedback with the hr manager and the recruiting manager the second step was um, a further interview with a different uh, manager so someone from hr that would just partly would use the assessment platform but partly would dig a bit deeper into some of the values uh, really looking at the attitude piece then there would be a, a sales role play session so the candidate would be given all of the information they needed about a product in the portfolio, a customer brief, they'd be given some time to prepare, and then there would be a, a role play that they would conduct. And that, that was really good because it helped you to see how people could behave and would behave in that situation. Um, and then the final piece was, um, a, a, a te- a, I say a test, it was an, experienced, an experience-based exercise. So we would give people... We were running field-based uh, territories or, or leadership positions. And we would basically say, you know, here's the the framework of information you have coming into a role. Mm-hmm. We want you to just review the information. You've got 45 minutes. Review the information and tell us what are the key three to five things that you would be looking to achieve based on what the brief tells you. And it would just help help the candidate to get a, a window into the organization and potentially what the work was going to be. But it also helped as a, as a hiring manager, helped us to understand how does that person, you know, assimilate the information, make recommendations, and what's the strength of that plan that they're recommending. And very often successful candidates would take the work from that assessment center and that would become the framework for their, you know, first 30, 60, 90 days in the, in the role. So it worked quite well to join up the onboarding process as well. Yes, and that's an interesting point. That's something I think that people, you know, once you've actually managed to uh, get your foot in the door, you you know, everybody these days has a, um, a probationary period. And and you've got you've got to perform during that period of time. In fact, you know you're you're still under review. Um, maybe not all of your, your your probation period. You're not all you know. Not all your benefits have kicked in. You need to have a plan. And in the course, I, I um, the course that I sell, I, I have a a ninety day plan that I build for people because I think the more senior you are as well, the more likely you need to be. Uh, in charge of your own integration. You know, there's basic stuff that HR will do. You know, here's your laptop. These, this is the door you use, all of this sort of stuff. But actually in terms of you delivering on uh, your, your, you know, in your first 90 days, that's really, it's, it's between you and your manager. And of course, really, if you're senior, you've been brought in to solve a problem, not create a problem. So you need yes. to have a plan yourself. Um, it's interesting that as well, and your your process, which I think is a good one, it's one that I, I see um, occasionally I do sort of mid-level recruitment for, for clients. I, I generally do senior level, but it's, it's interesting. I'm interested to know whether you used it in both situations because I find actually, you know, mid-level people, oh, they have a much more rigorous process that they go through. Mm. And they're often asked to do, uh, uh, to think harder, to work harder to get the job. At the senior level, it tends to be less structured, more conversational. 
and um, you know less hoops to 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 jump through. Other than let's say, you know, create a business plan for me or give me the idea, you know, because you're normally trying to 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 change something or develop something. So you you will be asked to come up with a a presentation, but it's much more free form. You're allowed to you're given a lot more freedom. Whereas I think in the mid level you get. A prescriptive approach. Did you use it for the most senior roles as well? That same that same process, or or was it then abandoned in favour of something else? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Your observation is exactly right, uh, Tony. Mm. That was for the mid level roles. Once we got to more senior roles, what I noticed at 3M, and I don't know if um, this is similar to other organisations, but a lot of those senior positions would be people that had come through the organisation. Right. So they they tended to be more of an internal process. Um, Every now and then they would be looking for, you know, a specific skill set that didn't exist in the organization, so they would look externally. But for the majority of the senior positions, they would be people that had come through the organization. So there was a different process then because it was internal. Yeah, that is unusual. I think that's probably one of the things I've heard about 3M and so, and businesses like it that, that seem to have a very, um, you know, decent sort of structure of development and, and pushing people through, which I, which I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of time for, but actually what most organizations do in my experience is they bring in talent from outside uh, for leadership roles. It's a bit like, you know, in a football team, you know, not, not, not promoting the assistant manager into the manager's job very often. You're always thinking, well, well actually we need the best person available and if that happens to be somebody from you know the brazilian league then that's you know that's better than promoting somebody internally so yeah Yeah. i I think probably 3m was different to to others in that regard um but it tends to be the businesses that have got a very strong sense of their structure and what they are that promote from within it's often that the companies that want to uh, that feel like they need to to bring something in from outside, um, new thinking, new skill sets, new uh, mindsets that that uh, that go the other way, and and yeah, it, you know, normally the big businesses believe that what they're doing, the businesses that are in the you know the 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 you know the next rundown are the ones that are always trying to bring something in that they maybe feel they haven't got. Um, so yeah, that that that's interesting in itself. What what are you doing today, Justin? In terms of your your business, are you are you uh, are you working with you know senior leadership? Are you working with people who are making moves? Uh, yes, so I've got a couple of clients who are making moves. Um, but my my business is really focused on sales and business leadership. So people in a business who perhaps have lots of growth potential but aren't quite meeting the potential that they know is possible Um, and normally they'll be looking for other answers or other approaches and you know having had as as we talked about earlier you know the development and the leadership experience actually one of the things that sometimes people are overlooking is the fact that they just haven't either experienced the models or the processes or the structure and that's where you know an external mentor coach consultant can just kind of share a few principles, processes, and, and all of a sudden somebody gets a new path to, to growth or a new opportunity. So that tends to be the area that I specialize in with my clients. But I, as I said, um, I think when we first spoke, Tony, I've got a couple of clients, one of one of whom has just secured a new position, someone else I'm working with who was looking externally uh, and continues to, but interestingly, has, has made a change in their own organization now because of just the discussions that we had about the changes they wanted to make. And as soon as they started to vocalize those inside their own organization, 
actually a new opportunity opened up. And that was one of the things, it was something from my career that I learned not early enough, actually. <laughs> but um, and that is that when, when you have an ambition and you want to change, you want to make a change of direction or a change of career, uh, the, the earlier you can start to engage other people in that, have conversations, whether that's internal or external or with people in your network, and then start to ask the question about the skills you might need to develop in advance of getting that position and get those skills before you get the position. It makes you infinitely more uh, able and attractive when that position finally comes up. And it's, it's one of the things that wasn't until I really made this transition into leadership that I recognized the importance of it because you can't, you can't really expect to get the position unless you've gained some of the experience in advance. And that might be, you know, adopting some additional extra responsibility without, without any increment in pay or without any um, recognition for it, but doing it because what it does for you is gives you the skill and experience in advance. And just that attitudinal perspective is really important because it became one of the things that I used to you know, incorporate into my own recruitment process. I would ask people, you know, what what responsibilities have you adopted that perhaps are just a little bit outside of your remit? And it's really interesting because if if somebody you could tell whether or not somebody had that growth minded, high performance attitude just by the way that they answer that question. No, I, I absolutely agree with that, Justin. I think um, I think if you're if if you are looking to try and go to the next level in your career, you should be you know setting that. Uh, trajectory. People ought to know that you're doing it. Talking to your network is, is, a, is a great thing to do. Uh, everybody that I've spoken to uh, as part of this uh, this podcast series has said the same thing. But uh, you know, quite often that can be also talking to people internally uh, in your own business and seeing if if they realise that that's where you're trying to head. Yes, they either can help you. They don't often hinder you. They they they, they quite often they'll try and help you get there. But when you know, if you set the trajectory and say, oh, this is where I'm heading and then do things that get you there. And I completely agree. Taking more responsibility um, is, is, a, is a, a, an obvious thing. If that's not possible, then start to do things out, outside of that. You know, there's lots more opportunity now to, you know, I don't know, start a LinkedIn group or become, you know, start a podcast. Do something yeah. that, uh, that makes people realize that you have intentions beyond where you are right now. Yeah. Uh, you have aspirations and ambitions and you're doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, uh, I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you sorry. know, along, no, sorry, alongside that, uh, Terry, set. so once you've decided what you want, you've started to communicate with people in your network, internally, externally, potential recruiters, um, and that, that's the other thing that I found was really useful in the past. Not so much now because I work for myself, but having a really strong network of, you know, highly professional, well-connected recruitment and search uh, consultants. It, it's so valuable, e- even if it's just to have a discussion with them about your aspirations, because, you know, the whole principle around six degrees of separation, I think it's probably closer to three now because, the power of networks and the power of really good, well-connected people and, you know, your ability to foster a relationship with them, to offer them uh, your support when you can and then, you know, by virtue, receive support when you need it is a really, really powerful 
uh, force, I think, in business and in, in your career nowadays. So I would say for people who are listening who haven't perhaps really tapped into the full power of their network, start today. You know, it's, it's as simple as one conversation with the right person. And that, my experience, is the cascade that then follows you end up talking to three to five, maybe 10 other people just from that initial conversation. It could be really, really positive for you, especially if you've got time on your hands. You know, if, you, if this is urgent for you and you want to start to really expand and create that opportunity, you know, start as soon as possible. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that as well. I think, I think um, conversations um, with people set other hairs running, as you say. People actually start doing the thinking for you um, you, you, you place, you place a, a sort of seed in, in, uh, in somebody's mind that, you know, this person might be looking and, and might be interested in this. Uh, and then, you know, another person is involved in the conversation and it expands. I think that's a good thing to do. I, you know, I always say you should have, if you're a senior person, you should have a, uh, I think we call it a pet recruiter. I don't think I like the term, but I, I've certainly, I find that with some of my clients, I'm a bit of a sounding board on a number of issues that are wider than, you know, just the recruitment piece in that they, they want to know what's happening in the market. They want to have a conversation about, you know, the industry gossip. They know that, you know, you, you're relatively well connected. Um, they want to occasionally even ask me about somebody that I've not put forward that they have in a process that, uh, you know, do, am I aware of them? Do I know, do I know what, how people now normally from this company, you know, how much do they normally earn in this type of, there's lots and lots of stuff that we, we can, we can help with. Um, and I always say that if you have, um, a recruiter that you, you trust, um, having a good relationship with that person can be, uh, highly beneficial over time um, and is often a, a, a really good reciprocal arrangement. Yeah, it works really, really well. Yeah, I, complete, I completely agree. And I've, I'm very, I consider myself very fortunate. I've only ever had really positive experience with recruiters, working closely with recruiters, either on the you know, client side as a hiring mm. manager or on the candidate side as somebody, you know, looking to transition or make, make transition in the past. It's been, it's been really valuable, I think. You know, that that's one of the things that probably is often overlooked until people need that position. And then you're trying to make up lost ground, actually maintain those relationships on an ongoing basis is such a uh, simple and yet effective thing to do. Yes, you must be the only one who's had all positive relationships. <laughs> Almost everyone I speak, you know, I, I, to be honest, everyone I speak to uh, that, that I talk to, I always think, I hope, uh, go away with a very positive experience. But many people I speak to, you know, because we have a, an industry that is, you know, um, can be a bit of the Wild West at times. Um, there's lots of people who've had poor experiences with recruiters, but, have, uh, you know, I think in, in many instances, it's like all of the relationships you get out of it, what you put in. Um, if you have a mindset that is, I'm not going to talk to these guys because they're all like this, you don't get very far. Um, if you have an, a, a mindset where you're a bit more open, and in fact, it's an interesting point. I always say, the senior people I speak to that I headhunt regularly talk to me and they talk to me very in a very open way. Very, very, very seldom do I get dismissed when I'm actually for the first time ever ringing somebody and headhunting them for a role when they're senior. If I ever do that in the middle level, then I do it much more rarely, obviously, but I find it is much harder. I always find that, you know, people have such, such much more closed mindsets than you're thinking if I was ringing your, you know, your, your, your sort of uh, mind board director, I'd have a conversation and it would all be very amicable. I'm, I'm ringing you at a mid-level, 
hopefully, you know, helping you maybe get to the next level. But I met with more often, uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of dismissive attitude, which uh, is interesting. It's, uh, I always think there's there's a correlation there between how open you are to opportunities and how far you get in your career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's an interesting thing to say, but that's that. I, I do the believe that's the case. The old adage, Tony, you know, your, your attitude determines your attitude. It's yeah. a classic example, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. And, and, and you know, incredible that that uh, that people have that view, but sometimes they do. Mm. Uh, Justin, look, I really appreciate your time. I'm conscious that I'm eating into your uh, your your Monday. I'm sure you're you're you know keen to get on with the thing. So I will uh, I will end it there. Thank you very much Thank for your you. time, Justin. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. All the best. Take care. You too. Thanks. Well, there you go. Bit of a deep dive into the recruitment process uh, of larger companies and how they try and filter people out using uh, competency-based questions. Actually, competency-based questions uh, is a topic that I cover in great detail in the premium course, um, really helping you to build the type of stories, case studies that I suggest that you should during our conversation with Justin. So if that's something that's interesting for you, perhaps you should visit www.careermovesecrets.com and have a look at the premium course there. You can, of course, also take um, the Job Search Masterclass, which is completely free. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, perhaps you should subscribe because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon. Thank you.